Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Province Sports Podcast. Welcome to the White Towel Podcast. I'm Paul Chapman, joined by our beat writers at the the Province and the Vancouver Sun, Patrick Johnson, Ben Kuzma. Remind you, this is brought to you by our good friends at Key West Ford, keywestford.com. BC's largest selection of Ford Mustangs, the number one Mustang dealer in Western Canada. Visit them if you're interested in Mustang. Also have a great selection of trucks as well. This week, guys, on the podcast, we're going to talk about, uh, obviously, generally the role the Canucks have been on. going to talk about Jake Vertanen. going to talk about the goaltending. Maybe talk about revisit the All-Stars a little bit. Look at the trip coming up. Talk about the Canucks at 50 as we look at some of these events of the 90s. Um, and then whatever else you guys want to get into. So Feels like a lot of topics. That's a lot of topics. It's good. There's a, this is these are the Canucks. I Let's know go for an hour. Yeah, no, we got a lot of stuff to talk about. Um, you know, as we are one of the seven thousand and three podcasts that uh, cover the Canucks in this market. Uh, you guys have been at it for a while, though. Um, you do do the traveling, as they say. Uh, my observations quickly as we pick up on what happened last week, because we're looking at the All Star break. This team, to me, has followed the same sort of template the last few years where they have these great spurts and then they have these slides. And this year, it looked as if they were following along that way. But I don't know, guys. It looks like they've figured out how to stop these slides short. So there's still been spikes, the two games in Florida that we know about, certainly the game in Winnipeg. But they seem to be able to correct these a lot faster now. And there's this team looks like it's trending much more to the upside than the downside. Well, because in general, it's a better team. I mean, it's funny what happened. Having a, a star center and a, a star defenseman will do to your hopes. I mean, uh, to me, that's the biggest thing is the maturation of Elias Patterson and Quinn Hughes being a, a, you know, teenaged almost number one defenseman. You have to have the foundations in place to make this kind of run. You've got to have good goaltending. And you could argue they not only have the better, best goaltending in the division, maybe the conference, and you want to go beyond that. Uh, you're good down the middle. Uh, you're decent on special teams, and you play a certain game that you have to play at this time of year. And I, I think this is what gets me back to their resiliency. I mean, the game in Winnipeg, we, we tend to reference. Hellebuck was unbelievable. I was there that night. He, uh, 40 shots. I mean, the Canucks were 0 for 6 yeah. on the power play. They were hitting crossbars and posts, and you're going to have nights like that. Or the games in Florida. How do you how do you come back? Can you get back to your DNA? Because quite frankly, we've talked about this. When the Canucks play their best, they're boring. It's north-south. It's get to A-B. It's frustrate the hell out of their star players. Get turnovers. Get some bodies to the net. Score at even strength. Yet, and we'll get to this, 
you add Jake Furtan into the line with Pedersen and Miller, and suddenly you have something extra off the rush. So there are a lot of building blocks in play. There are a lot of things here that suggest to me, guys, that this thing that they're on is sustainable. And that has always been the big question here. Can this be sustainable? One of the points I've been making in all this, too, is that you look, you project ahead what they need you mm-hmm. know, from the remaining 32 games or whatever it is at this point. And, and, you know, sort of the number of points they need. And it's really on pace with where they've been all season, like you said. They've, they've, they've sort of righted the ship. They've done enough. They've, they've won more than they've lost. And that's a pace. It's not, you know, a world-beating pace, but it's a pace that will get you in the playoffs. When they came back from the All-Star break, they had 33 left. Yeah. And if you think the bar is 97, it could even be higher. But if it's 97, they needed 39 points mm-hmm. in their final 33 games, which is when you want to break it down to wins and, and points in OT – very doable. Yeah. And it, it's basically the pace they've been playing at. So there would have to be a dramatic drop-off for them not to stay in contention and actually play meaningful games in April. Imagine that. Amazing. So Patrick, you said somewhat flippantly, I think, is that they were a better team because yeah. of Pedersen and Hughes. But they weren't doing this earlier in the year. That's my point, mm-hmm. is that they would look great for five games. Then they would look awful for four. Then right. they'd look good for, for six. Then they'd look bad for four. And it, I mean, and we've talked a lot this season on this podcast about how the goaltending papered over a lot of the cracks, but mm-hmm. this is my point. Whether it's Miller, whether it's Myers, whether it's a combination of all that, plus the younger players becoming more seasoned, it just, to me, seems to be coming together for them a little more broadly. They don't go into these prolonged slides after Christmas as we right. saw before Christmas. I, I think the other thing, too, is that that schedule is so tough in November you know, they sort of had to navigate it. They got through it. It could have been a lot worse. It wasn't great, but it could have been a lot worse. Uh, and then they kind of managed to right the ship a little bit. And, of course, they reeled off the seven wins uh, around Christmas, and that was such a big thing because a couple of those wins, I mean, I think even Travis Green admitted they were a bit lucky. But you gotta you got to take those ways you can and then not throw too many things away. And I think, I think the one thing I still am a bit skeptical of is that they are still generally getting outshot. Um, and you would rather that flip around because at the beginning of the season they were out shooting everybody and they were rightly winning those games. And their road record isn't what it, you'd want no. it to be right now. So that this is why this is such a big trip. Paul hit on a good thing here because a year ago, I mean, they always have long trips in October and November. Mm-hmm. And a year ago they went into Denver and won a big game 5-1 and they were in a playoff position that day. And then the sky fell. Berchi left, yeah. had concussion-like symptoms. They go into Philadelphia. Edler, that was the game Edler got hurt, right? Uh, no, it was in Philadelphia. They go into Philadelphia. Edler gets his stick caught up in Voracek's, uh, his stick in his skate, right. ball to the ice concussion. Demko gets hurt in the warm-up right. with a sprained knee. Right. Now they're in goaltending hell because they had to summon DiPietro on an emergency basis. And then we found out as that went along, Demko actually had a knee sprain. And they kind of got caught with their pants down with their goaltending situation. And by the time they flipped the calendar... They were on three, eight, and three. They had six guys hurt, and March was a death march. They're already out of it. So, yeah, their health is a big thing too. But it is a better team. The goaltending is beyond stable. So, again, uh, they're positioned to maintain this thing. And and you know, when the, the way they started the year, I think it was seventeen of the first twenty-four games they gave up the first goal. Twenty of the first thirty-four. They're not doing that as much anymore. They're more comfortable in one-goal games in the third period. They don't seem to collapse. And when you talk to the players, the ones who have been here a while, and either guys who have kind of a playoff pedigree, 
they'll tell you there's just a certain buzz in the room. There's a certain feel in the room that wasn't there even a few years ago. Well, they've got that offensive talent, isn't it? I mean, that's that's a lot of us. They're like, okay, we can we can score ourselves out of trouble. We can get right back into it. And totally, Ben, you note about them sort of having some swagger. You know, you can tell this is a group that feels. Really and good don't kid it. yourself when you talk to a kid like Pedersen, and and yeah, he's he knows he's getting all kinds of attention this year. But what's different in this game this year? I mean, the points are there. He's 15th in the league in scoring. But when he gets pushed on, he pushes back. Yeah. I mean, he'll get checked, and he'll follow the guy into the corner. He'll lay him out. I'm yeah. Not lay him out, but yeah. he'll hit him hard. What that does, it, it gets you some respect. It gets you some credibility. And it also kind of, in a roundabout way, does create some time and space. I mean, the stuff he's doing off the rush now is, is, is mm-hmm. incredible. But I just like the fact that he's added some moxie to his game on top of everything else. And that's a strength. I mean, I saw somebody write about the team recently who I don't think is ever around the team. And he commented, he described... Pedersen as being sort of pencil thin. And I was like, I don't think you've seen him recently. We're in here. Yeah, you should come to the rink more He's often. not yeah. pencil thin. He's yeah. a, You're he's talking a, about Drance, aren't you? Of course, <laughs> obviously. He never writes about the Canucks. Never comes to the rink. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you look at, are, are you guys surprised at the impact that Miller's had? He's a better player, Paul, than I thought he was. And because, uh, you know, I think I was like everybody else. Okay, I got the third round pick. I didn't get the conditional first. Um, maybe they thought Listen, this guy has 25 goal potential with us because he was a third liner in Tampa. Uh, he had a pair of 22 goal years in New York playing in broad, on Broadway. There's that in his DNA. From the first day of training camp in Victoria, from the first kind of quasi scrimmage, I couldn't believe how hard he played in every zone, even in a camp scrimmage. He's 215. He's wide, but he moves well. Yeah. And whether it's through the neutral zone, I mean, it's one thing to have the puck, get the puck, stay on the puck. He just he plays hard. And he'll get to the net, and he'll set picks, and he'll set screens. And beyond beyond that, I, I, I've never seen a guy who hates to lose as much as he does. When you go to him, you have to kind of see which way the wind's blowing with Miller when you go into the room. Uh, he's taken on such a kind of a leadership thing, and I think he's so good for the younger guys, for a guy who's been there. I mean, he's been in two Game 7 conference final and lost them on home ice with the Rangers in Tampa. He knows what it takes to get there. He knows how much it hurts to not take the next step. I think he's been great. He he really has. I mean, I thought he was going to be a good addition to the team. I mean, you're always getting better players. I still I still am one of those ones going, I still think that was quite the price, and I'm not sure they had to pay that much. But they're happy they've got the player now. There's no doubt about that. And, yeah, everything Ben said, absolutely. The guy, the guy has added so much to that room, and and – all the players talk about it. This is a guy that just reviews video endlessly. This is a guy that, you know, he, he knows what a good team looks like. He was on one in Tampa and he talks so much about sort of the, the experience of playing with guys like Hedman and guys like Stamkos and, and what they brought to the table. And he, he's a little bit almost of a messenger in that regard in that, you know, he has these younger stars that are able to kind of say, okay, find out secondhand. Okay. Those guys that I do want to aspire to be like, okay, that's what they do. I'm going to do that too. Vertanen told me a good story about Miller. He said, uh, Miller came up to him and said, hey, you're just like me. And what he meant by that, Miller was a first-round pick, kind of a snot-nosed kid, thought he knew better than AV, thought he knew better than Torts in New York, and had to learn, had to spend a couple of years in the A, had to learn. So when he comes to Vancouver, he looks at Jake, and he kind of sees a mirror image of himself. And when you really think about it, and you get back to the communication stuff, Jake tells me that, you know, he'll be in the lounge, he'll be on the on looking at his shifts on the computer, and who comes over his shoulder? It's Miller. And he sits in with him and says, you know, we could try this, or we could try that. I mean, 
Miller, when the spirit moves him, you can't shut him up. He just talks. And whether it's on the bench, in the room, they sit together on the plane, Jake and Miller. I can't and, even imagine what and Jake says. He just, he, just, he just doesn't. He does, he's a chatterbox. But it, it's been kind of like, you know, they talk about the right place, the right time. Now Jake's kind of playing with the right person. Who can, it's not just a coach telling them what to do. It's a guy who's been there, done that. And the consistency thing is what I yeah. most want to hear because we've been seeing that. That's, I think, when the difference. I mean, we've seen Bretan and play with Pedersen before, but the consistency we've been seeing from him is not something we've seen in the past. And that, to me, is going to be the biggest question of there's, how, but how some, much that works. Something's different, though. I want to watch well, Jake from above. There's something different. Like I said, he's scaling, he's skating freely. He's not overthinking. He's doing things instinctively. My goodness, he's throwing like blind saucer passes yeah. right onto Miller's tape. Well, that's what I mean is that whether uh, – that's to me what I want to see. I want to watch. Yeah. I, I, it, it could very much be that this ends up being – this is it. We oh, no, I got a lot of people tell me that, yeah. you know, there's there's a time limit here on Jake. This is like his 15 minutes of fame because yeah. he's playing in that line. I, I don't think so. So, well, that's a great question though. So do you just plow along with the progress or – does does he suddenly become a more attractive piece to move if you believe that this is something that's not sustainable or cannot be improved on even further? I think, well, Jake's 23. He's got arbitration rights. And, of course, everybody doesn't, you know, they come to terms eventually. Jake's looking like right now, I know it's a short study, but he looks like that top six guy they always had. And, and maybe part of this is, you know, can you look at it from two perspectives? Are the Canucks doing what everybody else is trying to do right now? Have three lines, maybe that third line. There is, is a reason Besser? is playing with Gadet and Roussel because Besser needs to be better without the puck. He really struggled in that aspect of his game last year. And quite frankly, Besser can't keep up with Pedersen and Miller off the rush. He doesn't have that explosiveness in his stride. So maybe he's going to be more attentive without the puck, better in transition. I, I don't think he's happy about it, but he's getting his PP1 looks. He's still playing with good talent. Yeah. He's, yes, he's been putting up points. I mean, that's the thing. Besser's such an interesting story because he, it, it wasn't like he was a drag on that line. That line was still dominating, but in the limited time with Vertanen, it's almost like, amazingly, they have taken a step forward. We'll see how this carries it's on. It's off the rush. It's, it's, what, it's what Brock can't do. It's that extra element has been very interesting. And I, I do think how Besser plays out in this is going to be interesting as well because, you know, I was one of those people, people would ask me, who, you know, who could the Canucks try? I said, well, I'm not sure they will, but yeah. Vertanen would be a name that you could consider just because of perceived value. Well, now we're actually seeing performance from him. Um, so that adds a new element to how do you build this team? And as you said, yeah, he's playing with Goddard. He's not playing a lot, uh, which is surprising given the fact that, you know, he has been producing and, you know, a lot of he, he's been playing well. But as you said, what's the right fit? And in, in right now, the Goddard, Roussel, Besser line, I think has actually been getting better. Um, they still need to see more from them. They definitely want it as a third scoring line. I mean, we, we, we heard, I, I, I think I've heard this actually both from Jim Benny and Travis Green out talking about that's what you need from your team, wow. which of course is such a shift from where things were, which was this trying to have two lines to sacrifice themselves on the altar but, to leave space for the two scoring lines, but they're, they're past that now. But on this, I'm not gonna, we'll get to the old man portion of the podcast <laughs> when we talk about the Canucks 50th series, but, you know, Ben and you, you know, we got Patrick the Millennial in his avocado toast shirt over here. You and I are the old guys. No, think back to like the LA Kings and the Triple Crown line. And you had these lines built on great chemistry. And the game today seems to be much, much more mix and match. And you don't have your, you know, your dyed in the wool guys who play together all the time. Of course, we had that with the Sedins who had a special set of circumstances. But you guys have just brought up 
a couple of instances here where you're talking about Miller and Vertanen and chemistry that they maybe have. And Patrick, I want to, I'm not going to belie the source where you got it from, but you, you and I had a conversation before Christmas about the much maligned Louis Erickson that you were told, you know what? We're giving him another shot yeah. because he, he has shown some good chemistry with Bo Horvat. Lo and behold, look what's played out the last month. And again, I don't want to go down the road of, is this just good for Louis Erickson or is Louis Erickson just good? But there is something to be said for chemistry between players and the way they all mesh together, is there not? It is kind of wild. And I, like I said, like I noted in the, in my game story before the All-Star break, this sort of stunning ovation. Ed Willis, and I talked about it last week. Ben, you weren't there, but I could hear it on TV. You could hear it on I could TV. hear it on TV. Trust it was me, unbelievable. People, Don't hit the table, people. I'm sorry. Yeah, Darmaquan is going to be yeah. mad at you. Patrick getting hands. It was unbelievable. It still it still blows my mind how and and you know obviously it's going well and we have this you know insurance line thing now that they're the guys that if there's an empty net they're going to get you one but like that's a good sign that means they're playing well and you know it's funny Ben you and I see it you know for most of the year healthy scratch Louis Erickson was sort of wandering in the room and you know he you know he wasn't pouting but <laughs> Hi, you know he, nobody wanted to talk he to Lou sad. he looks sad nobody wanted to talk to Lou and now everything's great. And I saw him Christmas shopping in uh, the mall downtown with his daughters. He even looked sad that day. Yeah. So, but, but the funny thing is, if, if Josh Levo's healthy... Isn't if, that amazing? If his knee's not destroyed, his kneecap, uh, does Lou play? Probably not. But the funny thing is, you know, the way that line has to play, I mean, he's not, he's not hurting them because, you know, everybody looks at Tanner Pearson and says, man, this guy will go 12 or 14 games without scoring. Then you look at his point production since like mid to late November. He's right there every because game he, because he plays good in every zone. Yeah. He complements Horvat's north south game, and there's Louis, um, you know, maintaining some sort of pace with them, or or smarts, I should yeah. say, because his play without the puck has always been there. Yeah. He helps you on the PK, and he's he's decent in that respect. But getting back to this thing we're talking about the lines is the fact that they're going on this big five game road trip, and you know they're going to get some bad matchups. And if you can get some kind of production out of your third line, and the fact that, like Paul said, we're talking about these different lines, and when you talk to a coach, he doesn't even like to talk about first, second, third, fourth line because so no, many parts really? are interchangeable. It's like asking Travis about his starting goaltender. You know, you just don't go there. Um, but 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 it's it's really interesting. So yeah, uh, things must be this must, something must be at play here because Louis Erickson looks like a player. Travis, you mean Travis, we talk about a lot of things when we're discussing our starting goaltender, but I'm not going to tell you, Green. You mean that, Coach? Well, yeah, and the funny <laughs> thing is, well, I tried to ask him the us. other day about the rationale of, of playing Demko here against St. Yeah. Louis, and, and it, was, it, was, it was, I think the answer should have been obvious. The answer should have been, we played them in October in St. Louis. We won a shootout game. Demko played, made 34 saves, because you, you, you tend to go back to that stuff, but no, he said that wasn't the reason. If that's not the reason, that's even better for the Canucks because on any given night, you can play any guy. I didn't think he would play until, you know, there's back-to-backs coming up on the weekend, and that's when Demko I thought was going to play. And now you're at a point where, hmm, we can play him any night, and this is going to dovetail eventually into what he do with Markstrom and his contract because you got a guy who's put up 30-plus saves against the Stanley Cup champs and looked pretty good. Yeah, let's talk about this trip. We got Ed, Ed Willis is is down in San Jose as we speak, um, and then PJ, you're joining the trip. We got uh, the weekend matinees, both of them, Islanders and Carolina. Then on to Boston and and Minnesota. How many games do they win? Two. I think they beat Minnesota. I think uh, I think they beat uh, the Islanders. What about San Jose? Oh, sorry. Th- 
Not how many games are they going to win when you're there, Patrick? Yeah, three. Uh, well, I, I do think they'll, they should beat San Jose. I mean, that San Jose team, I've seen them twice now. They just look terrible. They just have no spirit to them. They're so broken. Um, I think I, Canucks will beat San Jose. I think they will. I, I mean, I know the Islanders are a tough team to break down, but I think that's such a good test. I think the back-to-back aspect going into Carolina, that Carolina team is is so – I mean, that's going to be, I think, a thrilling game, but I, I, Carolina is just playing so well. Um, there's just something about that Islanders matchup that I like. I don't quite know why, even though the Islanders are this incredibly stout defensive Barry Trotz team. I, I look at how they played against St. Louis on Monday, and I think the Canucks are going to be in a just, I don't know. I think they're going to get three out of five. That's My I'm, biggest that's concern is a 7.30 start in San Jose tonight, and I think it's going to be a really edgy game because if you go dial it back to that game here before the break against the Sharks, who have nothing right. to play for. There are nine points out of the last wild card spot with five teams to pass. Carlson's already talking about next year. They're talking about <laughs> Thornton and Marlowe at the trade deadline, and I think they want to get a pound of flesh out of the Canucks, so I'm not sure what our deadlines are tonight, Paul, but I kind of worry about that one. Okay, that's a winnable game for me. Here's one for you. This happened last year. They went into Boston and beat them 8-6 on a crazy night. <laughs> Boston arguably has maybe the best line in hockey. Yeah. I'm going to say they beat the Sharks. I say they're going to go into Boston and win. And I think they'll win in many. I'll give them three. Hmm. Interesting. So um, we're both feeling upbeat, though. Yeah. That's the point. Well, I, I would have said they'll win. Paul, you're going to lose all five, right? No, I would have said they were going to win all four. But that's, you know. And that dovetails nicely into something that I want to, want to talk about, the Patrick. I know you're writing about uh, imminently. Um, the team is going great. Fans are on top of it. This season-long struggle of Benning Bros versus Bitter Bros is... <laughs> Is uh, is still going on, but it looks a little one-sided right now. Anytime you bring up any criticism now, you're accused of being negative. However, there is a situation brewing in the front office, which looks a little um, divisive, shall we say, and needless, and some might question stupid. Judd Brackett is a guy who universally, I remember Botch first telling me about him, you know, several years ago, and saying, no, this is the guy, and, and he, like... If you guys remember, you know how what it's like trying to speak to someone behind the scenes with the Canucks organization. Difficult. Yeah, and so Jason was great guns on getting an interview with him. Well, look, he's obviously blossomed into a very valuable part of the organization, and now all this stuff's coming out that he may be leaving. What's going on? Well, I think you talk to people outside the organization, and that's one of the best ways to get the barometers because, you know, scouts talk to each other, and that's inevitable. And uh, This is a guy that's well-regarded, I think, by his peers. And uh, has been a key part of the organization. You know, I talked to Jim Benning about him last week, and he he said, "No, we're we're talking. I, I you know, don't quite know where this is coming from." Well, the fact is, is that he's a key part of the organization. He's unsigned. This is how it works. And um, I, I uh, he's a, he inevitably like a free agent, a, a player coming up on their contract that other teams are going to be interested in. It's the same kind of story from my perspective. That this is a guy that. That has done really well. He's been a key player. Uh, you know, when, when Jim Benny has been his, uh, at his best as a drafter, you know, which was, to be honest, before the last three years would have been, if you're talking about the guy that's the captain of the ship in terms of that kind of thing, it was when he was in Buffalo. It wasn't actually yeah. Austin. He had a great drafting record in Buffalo. And that was because he was, had a really good team of scouts working with him. And this, this from the outside, is I think where it comes down to you sort of look okay this is a this is a team that's done really well why would you let that break up I mean it, why would you, it, it can't possibly come down to money can it I mean it, it, wow. it 
I, that's, I worry, that to yeah. me is the issue. Is how does your team work? Don't why you know you keep your team together, make it work. What does what does a scout make at that level? I don't know. That's not. Something. I'd be guessing ballpark. I I don't. It know. depends. It depends where you are in the scouting pyramid. I mean, are you a guy just out there uh, doing junior hockey? Are you a pro scout? Are you a director of amateur scouting? I just I, think, I'd be guessing. I, I would hope it's no. The reason I ask <laughs> more is, than us. I, oh yeah. No, well, <laughs> everybody makes more. No, than but us. no, but the reason I ask is it, it, it would stun me if money money is an issue. I mean, yes, we know the legacy of the family name of the owners and other business interests. Yep. But when you're willing to spend the kind of money you are on players like Tim Schaller and Jay Beagle and God forbid even bring Louis, Louis Erickson back into it. Would a couple of hundred thousand more really be an issue for someone who's so valuable? Well, it, sh- it shouldn't be. Here, here's what I'm going to say. <laughs> the strength of any organization, whether it's the players or the hockey ops department or management or however you want to structure, is to have everybody. Everybody play to their strengths. I don't want Judd Brackett suddenly uh, responsible for contracts or people say, well, he should have been assistant general manager. Well, that might come with certain kind of a job description. I mean, you touched on Benning. When Benning was in Boston as an assistant general manager, he just scouted. Yeah. So I guess what I'm saying from a Canuck perspective, Judd Brackett, you want Judd Brackett doing what he's doing. Now, whether you need to give him a title or throw some zeros on that check, you better do it because we've been around him long enough, PJ, at, at certain drafts where we know he's had the say. He has convinced the hockey ops department, whether it's Pedersen, whether it's Hoaglander, you better take this guy because of where the game is going. I hope it's not an ego-driven thing where whether it's Jim Benning or John Weisbrod, uh, you know, I hope that's not the case. I think the strength of any organization is to have everybody play to their strengths. And if you've got gear in there, assistant general manager, somebody can take over some of the contractual stuff. They've got a good thing going. Yeah. And, you know, you, you get what you pay for. And I, it, it, to me, it's it's simple. Keep him doing what he's doing. Give him a title if he wants it and make sure he's compensated properly. It shouldn't be an issue. It, it, it shouldn't be this. Everything that's out there that we're hearing, and like you said, when I talk to other scouts, his name always comes up. Yeah. And what's going on with Brackett? What's going on with Brackett? And I don't think it's a case of him going to some other team no. as an g- assistant general manager and getting out of his comfort zone. Not not a comfort zone. He's just really good at what he does. Yeah. And that is a tremendous asset in your organization. So compensate him properly. This shouldn't be an ego-driven thing within the oper- operations department if it's a problem. Like, the, like it's right there. This is not complicated. But they're making it complicated. You, you ask about what it costs for a scout. Well, you look at the ROI. I mean, he's, he, like you just mentioned it. Yeah. I mean, in the end, he was a guy that said, no, we need to draft Pedersen, not Cody Glass. And look how well that's worked out. You know, they're, they're winning. They're in the, you know, they're in the playoff conversation because of their number one center. And, and that's down to, in the end, the work that the scouts did and the, and, and basically going to, Trevor Linden at the time, who was the president, saying this is what we need to do, and that that's how it worked out. People forget that that Cody Glass thing was a was a real thing mm-hmm. uh, at the draft in Chicago, uh, and the fact that you know there was flipping the picks and what what was you know Vegas going to do, and the Canucks kind of stuck to their guns because they you never know when somebody says they're going to lay off a guy, they don't necessarily yeah. lay off a guy; yeah. they pick your guy. Yeah, and here I, we are today. Um, the season's broken down into mileposts. We kind of look at, obviously, season start, U.S. Thanksgiving, Christmas is a natural one, then the All-Star break. The next natural one is, of course, the trade deadline. we got many weeks to kick around and conjure up uh, various scenarios, but I know there's injuries to deal with. I know there's a cap to deal with. Do you see the Canucks being players at all heading into, especially considering the way that this team has gone on the ice? They're 
as you guys have pointed out earlier, they're odds on to make playoffs now. So do they want to be odds on to go deeper in the playoffs? Well, is I, there a chance that they make a big deal? I, I don't, I don't actually think there is. I mean, Jim, Jim saying, you know, I'd like to add a top six winger. I mean, everybody would like to have a, add a top six winger, but that did sort of remind me that in the end, you know, okay, they're happy with how Louis Erickson's playing right now, but they're realistic. You'd like to do better than Louis Erickson. So I, I'm sure that's in the back of their mind, but given the sort of challenges they do have, uh, you know, they do have a bit of room because Michael Furlan's on LTIR. They do have a small amount of room on the cap right now as it stands. But, you know, really, the realistically, there's not a whole lot of room for them to work with. It's going to, it'd be really hard to bring in, uh, you know, a, just for the sake of argument, a Joe Thornton type. You know, that kind of guy, you, you just don't have enough cap space to do that. I think Ben has a theory. I, I like it. There is one, and I'll leave it to him. But, you know, perhaps as like a depth a depth move, we might see something like that. Well, I, you know, the whole uh, Furland situation is kind of fuzzy. I mean, the Canucks are, you know, the narrative out there that this is not a concussion per se. I mean, they, they can... They can say that because remember when Berchi left that game a year ago in Denver, it wasn't a concussion, but it was concussion-related symptoms. It wasn't a new concussion. And I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of hearing that, that Furlan's struggling with some uh, dizziness or whatever, which which makes a lot of sense because he was making progress and then suddenly he'd have a setback. He was making progress, then he'd have a setback. Well, anybody who's had a string of concussions like Furlan, uh, you're more susceptible to more symptoms. So having said that, Travis Green has always said this about Michael Furlan. We're going to need... Players like that in the second half down the stretch. The game stiffens up. I'm not, I'm not talking about barbaric stuff. You want a guy who can contribute. I mean, he had 21 goals two years ago in Calgary. But he plays with a certain stiffness, a certain bite. And I think the Canucks uh, lack that element. I mean, I think Roussel's giving you everything he has from a guy who came back from knee surgery and has admitted to me of late that he's kind of struggling a bit because when you have that kind of major knee surgery and you're playing catch-up, it's hard. I think the games are going to stiffen up. I can see them maybe going for a UFA rental that maybe cost him a late-round pick just to have that element. But the guy has to be able to play, and I think that's what they might do. Dale Weiss? His name, name, you know what? His name did come up, and people laugh because, uh, you know, the history of Weiss or whatever you think of him. It's just that, you know, he's a UFA with not much left on his deal and probably would cost you a late draft pick. And I don't know whether it's him or somebody of that ilk. I just think they're, they're looking in that regard because, you know, the funny thing about the Canucks and Jim Benning, there are people out there in the media, Eastern-based media, who tell us that Jim Benning is in on everything. I usually hear it on Hockey Night in Canada. But um, I, I think with their cap challenges, uh, they will make a move and it will be of the minor variety. Let me just ask you guys this. This is um, We've seen very good teams before uh, get undone in the playoffs uh, because of depth on the blue line. Um, this team, probably the biggest upgrade this year, has been on their blue line we've seen overall. But we also know, in many ways, they've dodged injury bullets that have always hit before with some of those guys that they have on the blue line. We know about the durability issues of guys like Edler and Tanev. Is there any chance that there's depth to be had at the deadline for them on the blue line? Or is that a case where they'd more likely look to Utica if something happens? Well, you've already got Jordy Ben sitting there not playing, which... And the funny thing is, if they were out of it right now, say they were 10 points out, you could probably flip Jordy Ben at the deadline, yeah. a year left, teams would take him as a depth guy. Yeah. So right now he's their kind of uh, Band-Aid if uh, somebody get hurt, gets hurt. I mean, if they had more financial wherewithal, I think Brendan Dillon in San Jose is on everybody's radar right now, a local kid that any team would love to have, but he's going to be you're not going to be able to afford him. So it's kind of the, like Paul brings up, it's kind of the fingers crossed thing. I guess the, the greatest thing on the back end is the fact that 
when Chris Tanev gets the puck, he gives it to Quinn Hughes, and <laughs> he doesn't get hit. Yeah, <laughs> so it's yeah. totally the story. I mean, I think I think Tanev. I mean, in another year. Tanev might be a guy that would be on the move, but I have a hard time seeing that given how important he's been to them. It's, it's amazing. The team, they talk about Chris Tanev in the sense that even, you know, he's up. I mean, could we move him? But he might be one of the last men standing. Maybe he's your third he's pairing guy. He's, he's going to be here forever. He's never leaving. He's never leaving. I, you know, Ali Levy, you know, in theory was a guy that we were supposed to see this yeah, year. I'm not absolutely. quite sure how that happens. I've been talking to a few people, people who watch the Comets a lot, and they say, yeah, he's moving the puck great, but there's still issues with him dealing with the rush. And, you know, I mean, here we are. He's sort of the highest pick who's not played a game in the NHL from that draft. It's uh, it, that 2016 draft more and more is just looking like a real dud because, you know, the only other guy they still have rights to is Will Lockwood, and I don't think Will Lockwood's going to turn out to be anything He's either. He's had two knee problems, Lockwood. And the, and the thing with like, Ulevi, the back injury, the surgery, the knee surgery. Um, you feel uh, bad for the kid. Uh, the thing is, again if, they, again, if they were 10 points out right now, yeah. Ulevi would be here. Let's Where's he at? And Brogan Rafferty, who's leading the American Hockey League in scoring by defensemen, and Jim told me last week, well, he still doesn't quite pivot properly. It's such a different game at the NHL level, you'd love to find out. You'd love yeah. to get a head start on next year to say, uh, we're not going to have him come to camp and see if he can play. Oh, he can play, so we have other options yeah. on the back end. Um, let's finish up by talking a little bit about our Canucks and 50 series. Obviously, this is moving in the territory that, uh, Ben, you covered some of these. Last week, it was so funny because the high of sort of the first part of the 90s with Pavel and 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 Pat Quinn and Kirk McLean and Trevor Linden and all this great stuff. And now stuff we're getting into where as as the league changed, the Canucks fell apart, Quinn gets fired, Keenan comes in, and my goodness, what a disaster reading these stories about the guys who were shipped out. Yes, there's great stories. Marcus Naslin coming in, good piece from Ed Willis on that. But looking at what happened uh, to the team in the back half of the 90s, and and how badly that went south. Now it did lay the the seeds for what we're going to see coming up in the mid two thousands. How they rebuilt to another run. But those Canucks team, we, we laugh at some of the Canucks teams in the eighties. That that Keenan era, Messier. I I still have no idea how they were that bad when they had so much talent. It's ironic, or maybe it's fitting. Actually, it's fitting because one of the big flaws in. Quinn's armor in the end was that he wasn't very good at drafting post 1990. I mean, with the last good draft pick, really. I mean, there weren't a lot of guys that Matthias Old great at trading, yeah. great at trading. You know, I think uh, you know really went hard on that stuff. In the end, it, you know, there there were a lot of struggles from finding guys internally, and what that meant was in the end they did have to blow things up and. You know, I think in the long run, we know that that had to happen, but yeah, it sure was painful. I mean, I, I'm a guy that grew up in Vancouver and that 98, 99 team, um, you know, Pavel Burry's trade, which I'm, I'm writing about, you know, I, I was so sort of fed up with that team that I basically stopped watching hockey for a while there because it was just, it was so rough to follow. 12 I, guys moved out by Keenan in, yeah. in, in his season. It was unbelievable how much that team changed. Yeah, they were big names yeah. too. And I, I kind of came on the beat on a part-time basis then, and I remember the, the 12 players, Paul, and I think there were actually 19 transactions. Was that your uh, year to spend at uh, the airport? Was that your airport? Well, I, I think I quipped that I should just go to the airport, and if anybody's carrying a hockey bag, interview him, because he's probably leaving <laughs> Vancouver or coming to Vancouver. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it really was astonishing. how. And you talk about big names. I mean, Lyndon, McLean, Bure, all leaving Vancouver. Yeah. However, you look at the seeds that that – 
again, set up the Sedins, brought in Marcus Nasland. Ed Jovanovsky. Uh, Ed Jovanovsky, you know, these different pieces, uh, Roberto Luongo, that yep. are all connected, right? Yep. So it's uh, some pretty fascinating stuff. I, I talked to Jovo this morning, and great guy, great chat, you know, really fun guy to reminisce with on a, a credible sort of period of Canucks hockey. Obviously, he's got, you know, disappointments that they didn't do more than they did. They should have done more. Um but you know he was just he was just such a fun time. He talked about the buzz. I mean, I think we think about the playoffs potentially this year. But you know he just said, "Man, it was just so great to play playoffs in this city. How much how excited people were. The buzz." So Patrick, we have not included. I did not include this in the moments for the next month. But one of the all time moments for me that I remember was that game seven at home against Calgary, right? Where Jovo right. takes the penalty He's and they're down. They're <laughs> down a, a goal and thinks that they're losing and then. Jelena scores, and uh, or not Jelena, sorry. Um, Cook scores to tie it. Cook scores to tie it, and that image of him jumping up and down on the penalty yeah. box, of course, his yeah. penalty carries over the next period, and Jelena scores for Calgary, and they're out. But that was sort of the, the, the conversation around that team, and I know Ben's got another one that's coming up next month. I And we will talk about this as, as the, the story comes out. You can look at 82, you know, obviously overmatched against the Islanders. You can look at, oh, yeah, Nathan Lafayette hit the post in 94, um, you know, that, that Islanders team or that Rangers team was supposed to win the Stanley Cup. Even if you look at 2011, seven games against Boston, well, yeah, they should have won it, but they were really out of gas at the end. I honestly believe if you're looking in Canuck history, the team that had the best chance to win the Stanley yeah. Cup was the one that lost to the Minnesota Wild. Yeah. When you consider that it was a terrible Anaheim team in front of them and New Jersey in the finals, that Vancouver Canucks team with Naslin, Bertuzzi, Morris, oh, yeah. and Joe, they should have won the Stanley Cup. And that, that's something that Ed talked to me. I mean, he brought it up. I He's, think that was their undoing is that they already thought they thought their path was clear, Paul. And whether it was Todd Bertuzzi telling those Minnesota Wild season ticket holders that the series is over, he shouldn't be buying any more tickets, or Cluche just absolutely falling apart. It, it was something to behold. And sometimes when you cover series, you have a really bad feeling. And I had one. I yeah. just I had a bad feeling. So weird. Wasn't... You know, the the goal that goes in off Cloutier's yeah. back in yeah, game yeah. five, and then it just all f- came apart from there, right? Uh, have fun with that. Okay, Jens, I know you got a lot of work to do, so we'll leave it there. I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to thank Key West Ford at keywestford.com, uh, largest selection in Western Canada for both Mustangs and for trucks. If you need a truck, check them out. Um, thank them for their support of our program here. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. We will be back to talk to you next week.